from Birmingham, Alabama. You're listening to the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. I'm your host, Gary Furr, and I'm so glad to have you with me today. Whether you're sitting in your favorite chair or riding along in the car, I'm glad we're going to get to spend this time together. Good morning, and it's great to be back with you as we start Season 3 of the Flat Pick and Pilgrim's Progress, and today I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness, but first I want to tell you about a, a great thing that uh, has happened in the last few weeks. I was in Perry County, Alabama last summer for a meeting that had been put together by Together for Hope, a partner of an organization that I helped start called the Alabama Coalition for Healthy Mothers and Children. And uh, while we were there, we were talking about the issue of health care coverage and access for people, especially those who live in persistently poor areas and have struggles making it and uh, getting access to insurance. And while we were there, um, a former governor of our state, Don Siegelman, was attending, and he and a friend of mine named Bart McCorkadale uh, came up with the idea of approaching a not-for-profit up in Boston by the name of RIP Medical Debt. And they buy bad medical debt and cancel it or forgive it for people. And then they send them a letter and say, you know, this has been taken care of. And people have been doing campaigns through this organization for quite a while. And uh, it, it, it's medical debt is a huge burden for people, particularly people who are working people who maybe don't have a lot of discretionary income and maybe poor coverage or no coverage. So uh, through a generous donation by Bart, who is a businessman and is, uh, uh, you know, someone who does lots of good things, but he, he made the donation. We worked it out with them so that 5,411 people in Alabama um, who were below 400% of the poverty level in 27 different counties, had their debts forgiven. And the last two weeks, they've been receiving these letters to say, this debt is gone. You don't owe anything more for it. You have no responsibility for it. Doesn't that just make you feel good to even hear about? And uh, last week, I was teaching at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church I'm doing a couple of uh, presentations on the Gospels of Matthew and John, snapshots of the Gospel. And when I was talking about Matthew last week, I was mentioning the 18th chapter of Matthew in verse 21 when his disciple Peter comes to him and says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Now, I'm pretty sure that Peter thought this was a, a really big deal. But Jesus says to him in verse 22, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Now, this saying of Jesus perplexes us, but it's relevant to uh, all kinds of things, especially in this day and time when we're just so full of wars and revenge and uh, bitter political conversations. This is a theoretical conversation where Jesus is seeking uh, to teach them about forgiveness, and Peter is seeking to get Jesus' approval. He's heard him talk about forgiveness. 
and what they ought to do in the fellowship of those who follow Jesus. If you have a problem with somebody within your circle of relationships, you go to them and keep going and working on it. And I'm sure the question must have occurred in his mind, well, how long do I have to do this? He thought it might be a virtuous thing to forgive him seven times the number of, of perfection in the Jewish faith. And if he does that, he's done pretty well. Well, if someone does the same thing to you seven times in a row and you forgive them, you, you're a pretty good person. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. 490 times, so 491 and I get to do him in? Why did Jesus pick that number? You may remember that when Cain in the Old Testament was driven out of the garden after, uh, or driven out of uh, Eden, to east of Eden after killing his brother, he was worried that as a murderer he would be marked and a fugitive in the world and whoever found him might kill him. Never mind the question about where all those other people came from. But in the story, for our purposes, he asked God for a mark of protection. Now, we don't know what that was, but in Genesis, God puts some kind of sign or mark on Cain so that if anyone takes vengeance on Cain, Cain would be avenged seven times. Now, later on, one of his descendants, whose name was Lamech, is recorded to make this boast. If Cain was avenged sevenfold, I shall be avenged 77-fold. In other words, it was the principle of endless retribution and revenge. Sound familiar to our day? God placed that on Cain as a kind of protection. And there is rightful self-defense. There is a right use, use of rage against injustice. When someone or an entity have done wrong and there's a question of what is the right thing to do, to make this uh, as it should be again. Uh, avenging one's people and avenging one's wrongs is one way to address the challenge of security. And in ancient times, it was a way by which wrongs were righted and people survived. Even today, something always has to be done, except that it almost never solves the problem. There's a problem of keeping the response under control once the avenging starts. How far do we need to go before it's enough for what they did to us? I hear, really, I assume that they're not well-read people who quote the Code of Hammurabi. Uh, I hear it a lot when I tune in on talk radio and podcasts and see it online. And as long as, long as I'm able to listen to it, but they say, I tell you an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And you hear people say that. Now, it's interesting that they're using that to call for vengeance, when in fact that code, the code of Hammurabi, was created to do exactly the opposite. It was to limit vengeance, because in the ancient world, they didn't stop with an eye and a tooth. They took everything else with it. They killed everybody in, in your village and all your kinfolk and all the people that lived near you and all the people that lived in your country, and they just kept going. There was never enough that was good enough for you and yours for what had been done to you. So when people offended you, you went back and you just took it out so that there was nothing left. And that law was a way to stop it and say, all right, he pokes out your eye, you get to poke out his, but you got to stop there, no more. Except it didn't work. 
somehow when you start with a pound of flesh, uh, you want two and a half, and you keep going. So when Jesus says 70 times 7, he seems to be referring to this again and saying on purpose, invoking the memory of Lamech and Cain and saying, in the kingdom of God, the principle of endless revenge is reversed and it is replaced with the ethic of endless forgiveness. Now, forgiveness to work has to be inexhaustible. Now we know we're dealing with something strange and new and hard in Jesus' teachings because you and I are pretty sure that we deserve to hang on to our brooding about what somebody else has done to us. There are three principles of living available to us. Endless revenge, some attempt at proportional retaliation, or endless forgiveness. When I'm angry, I lean toward the first one. If I've been treated unfairly, maybe the second one, if I have some sort of sense of ethics. But if I have a consciousness of the hopelessness of the human condition, I hope for the third. And which is better for humanity? Isn't it obvious? Revenge, no matter how you count it, never seems to solve anything. It just sows hate for the next generation. It's happening in Gaza and Ukraine. It's happening with the Uyghurs in China. It's happening all over the world today. Endless revenge is endless damage and endless retaliation. Complicated thing, which makes forgiveness spiritually or in reality in daily life all the more a miracle. So it was a lot of fun to at least be part of a conversation where we worked for some people to experience a forgiveness. Did their debt deserve to be forgiven? Well, you could have that conversation if you want to. But in fact, they were in an intractable situation and somebody helped. It was a grace. Forgiveness is powerful. And the great lie is that it is weak. Something to think about. I'll leave you with a song I did many years ago called Forgiveness. You don't even have to pull a trigger Words do the trick just as well The damage accumulates in bits and pieces And love crumbles into hell With arguments to justify yourself And truth a weapon in the way we tell it's impossible to give forgiveness It's even worse to have to ask 
If letting go is the answer Living like it's gone is the task How else you gonna deal with the past? How do you tell the mother of a victim That it's time to let go and embrace She closes her eyes at night to be haunted By the anger and the emptiness and waste And requests to grant the killer grace And the image of her son's smiling face It's impossible to give forgiveness It's even worse to have to ask If letting go is the answer Living like it's gone is the task How else you gonna deal with the past? Deep inside you knew it would hurt her The moment you inflicted the wound But pride and stubbornness turned into years Though you promised you would fix it soon It's a miracle to be forgiven Even more when we don't have to ask If dying on a cross is really dying for us all Then love is something you don't have to grasp Grace is a lifeline that someone else cast And forgiveness is a gift And all you do is pass it To someone else who's sinking fast It's impossible to give forgiveness It's even worse to have to ask If letting go is the answer Living like it's gone is the task How else you gonna deal with the past How else you gonna deal with the past and this is the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. Thanks for joining me today. You can find my music at G-A-F-U-R-R, gafur.com, and you can go to my blog site for lots of other information and writings at garyfur.me, G-A-R-Y-F-U-R-R.me. Once again, thank you so much. Join me next time on the Flat Picking Pilgrim's Progress. (laughs) 